be honest with me and tell me if you are actually following the war in Ukraine. Chances are, and if you tell me the truth, that you are not. In fact, most of us are not. And that happens with all long wars. If a war goes on for too long, the war also loses its sex appeal or oomph. I have to be careful using that expression sex appeal because sometimes people get upset, particularly, particularly when it comes to political issues. But this is war. So oomph. All right. Oomph. So then you say the same thing is going on. Golabari keeps on taking place all the time. People are firing artillery at each other. People are firing missiles. What's the big deal? So the war in Ukraine right now has come after a long time, has a small headline point, which means after almost six months, seven months, in fact, since July last year, it looks like the Russians might have a small success. They might have a small success in a town, in a tiny town of 10,000 people called Soledar, S-O-L-E-D-A-R, see it on the map. Now, this is sort of in the middle of Donbass. This is quite, quite to the east of, say, Kiev, quite far in that direction. This is an outer holdout of the Ukrainian army, but looks like the Russians are taking it right now. And Russians, finally, Putin has something to talk about, something to celebrate after six, seven months of setbacks of various kinds. He's lost many landmark defended locations. At the same time, he's also lost many significant assets. He's also had to deal with the humiliation of Ukrainian attacks, either kamikaze drones or maybe some missiles landing at air bases in Crimea or even other places deeper inside the original Russian territory. Crimea, as we know, is occupied territory, although occupied since 2014. So there is this little success that Putin can now talk about finally. Take a deep breath, smile on his face. I conquered Solidar and I drove the Ukrainians out of it. All the Ukrainians are denying that they've lost the town. But you know what? When a side starts saying that, oh, this place has no importance, strategically it doesn't matter, we will defend what deserves to be defended and we will always weigh our costs of defending something and the value of the, of the target. Then you know that that side perhaps is in retreat or that side is a losing side. So it does look like at this moment, Russians are taking control of this small place. Now strategically, if you read up anything, strategically it doesn't look like Solidar accounts for very much, town of 10,000. In fact, Solidar is about 10 kilometers away from a larger city called Bakhmut. Bakhmut has an original population of 70,000. I don't know how many remain because that's also a deeply embattled city which the Russians are trying to encircle. So they think, Russians might think if they come to Solidar, it helps them to encircle Bakhmut. If you look at Western strategic experts, military experts, it looks like they don't quite believe so. But the important thing is, important thing is, if you look beyond the headline, if you look beyond the headlines, the headline is not Solidar. The headline is not the Russian army. The headline is the Wagner Group, PMC, private military company, Wagner. Because Wagner Group it is that now is being given the credit for having taken or mostly almost taken Solidar from the Ukrainians after a long phase of fighting in which both sides have suffered very heavy casualties. And you know, in all these battles, it's the attacker who has to expose himself. So the attacker suffers many more casualties than the defender. Although in this case, defenders have also suffered many casualties because Ukrainians have fought very well. So what is the PMC Wagner Group? This gives us an opportunity 
to look at what is this private military company Wagner Group. First of all, why Wagner Group, right? I, I will tell you that in just a minute. Wagner, as you know, was a famous German composer, Richard Wagner. And yes, Adolf Hitler was very fond of listening to Wagner. And Wagner himself was seen to be very fond of the Third Reich, etc., etc. But what has Wagner got to do with this group? Why is this group called the Wagner Group? Because Wagner was the call sign of the founder of the group when he was in the Russian Special Forces. In fact, Dmitry Yutkin, then as a lieutenant colonel in Russian army, fought twice in both the Chechen Wars. First Chechen War, second Chechen War. And why was his call sign Wagner? Because the belief is that he himself, I mean, that is what is said by the Western side, a lot of the Western media, Western think tanks, that he himself is very fond of the Nazis. He liked Wagner. He admired Wagner. In fact, I've seen stories in many Western publications, including The Economist, I think in FT also, I'm not 100%, but possibly at some point, saying that Utkin's body also has a lot of Nazi tattoos. So somebody inclined towards Nazism likes Wagner, has his call sign as Wagner, and so his group is also called Wagner. He also fought with Spetsnaz, the famed Russian special forces. He was a brigade commander with GRU or the main intelligence directorate as it's called in the Russian defense system. So, so a colonel in Russian special forces who fought two wars in Chechnya, then a brigade commander in GRU or main intelligence directorate, right? He, after he finished up there, he set up this private military group. Now, some people call it a mercenary group. Some people call it Putin's private army. Some people call it just a private company, whatever you want to call it. But we know that this is an armed group which has uniforms very similar to Russian armed forces, which uses a lot of Russian weapons, including tanks, aircraft. It's transported by Russian Air Force aircraft, artillery guns, missiles, etc., etc. It's trained at GRU units or GRU training centers. Its founder is seen in the company of Vladimir Putin and its owner now, its owner now is a famous or infamous, depending on which side you are on, you can choose your adjective, famous or infamous Russian oligarch Yevgeny Prigozhin. Now to buttress the claim that it is not even the Russian army, but the Wagner group which has taken Solidar. And I'll share some with you on the other side of the screen. And these have been taken from Telegram channels. That is where you pick up a lot of this stuff on any warfare going on anywhere in the world, Telegram channels and Twitter. And you can see Yevgeny Prigozhin, who's not a soldier. He's a super rich Russian oligarch. Fascinating character, as most of these oligarchs are, and I will tell you more about that in a couple of minutes. He is walking in one of the salt mines of Solidar. Solidar is also known for a network of salt mines. In fact, these are the largest salt mines in Europe. In fact, among the largest anywhere. And these salt mines, because they're underground, they give you these preformed caves because mining has taken place and caves have been formed. And that's where then soldiers can hide. They can go run from one side to the other. And that's where a lot of fighting is going on between Ukrainian defenders and the Wagnerite attackers in a, in a very deadly game of hide and seek. So he appeared, Prigozhin, the owner of PMC Wagner, he appeared apparently, although it's disputed by the Ukrainian side, he appeared apparently in these salt mines and they put out these pictures and videos to make the point, one, 
that the Russians have taken this little town of Soledad. Their first success in seven months, in fact, over the seven months, they've only been retreating. So it's a big deal for them. But also to make the point that this has been taken not by the Russian armed forces, not by, not by the Chechens. This has been taken only by Wagnerites. In fact, Prigozhin has issued a statement saying there should be no doubt that Solidar has been conquered only by the Wagnerites. Now, Russian armed forces or Putin's armed forces or Putin's security setup has many private military companies. Although private military companies are banned in Russia. But how does it matter if you are the, if you are the monarch's private military company? You are fine. No law, no, no law applies to you. So in Ukraine, Putin's got two sets of these people fighting. One is the Chechen army, also nicknamed Kadyrovsky because their commander is Ramzan Kadyrov. Right? So there are Chechens. We saw a lot of them in videos, in stories and in our Kartak letters in the fighting for another town that was Mariupol. Mariupol, of course, was a much more significant big city, not like Solidar. The second group is Wagner. Sometimes Wagnerites and Kadyrovites also have tensions between each other and any commander in Ukraine then has the challenge of dealing with them. So this is very competitive. And in case of Wagner and Prigozhin, they are competing not just with Chechens and Kadyrovites, they are also competing with the Russian armed forces. So that is the point that he is making right now. Now, what is the purpose that Wagnerites serve for Putin? So the most important thing is they provide Putin something called plausible deniability. Now, what is plausible deniability? That is, you, you assign your people to do something, but they are not your army, they are not your civil servants, they are not your police, they are not, they are not officially involved with you. So they do something, you can say, I'll go and catch them, I'll punish the guys, I'll find out who's done it, right? That's what people in power do. So that is called plausible deniability. And that's what Wagnerites have been giving Putin. But now that the chief of the Wagnerites himself, that is Prigozhin, he's coming out and saying this stuff, then that plausible deniability also becomes less of an issue. Now, Wagner has had a colorful history because until they got really heavily involved in Ukraine on a much larger scale. In fact, current estimates are, if you look at the statements of US Department of Defense spokespersons, they have claimed, the US Department of Defense claims that at this point, Wagner has 40,000 soldiers and these 40,000 are former prisoners from Russian prisons. So what they've done is they've carried out a massive recruitment in the prisons in Russia. And these prisoners are then being trained, able-bodied prisoners taken to the battlefield. And if they perform well or if they do their duty, after six months, they are given pardon. In fact, on January 3 this year, just a few days back, the first batch of such prisoners, 24 of them were given pardon and they walked back home free men now. So the Pentagon says that it is 40,000 people, 40,000 ex-prisoners who are fighting now and 10,000 other contractors or professionals that Wagner employs. So they are fighting. 50,000 is a lot of people fighting on any battlefield, particularly in Ukraine, in a European battlefield. Before the scale of operations became so big in Ukraine, Wagner was a kind of private army of Putin in Africa, Africa and parts of parts of Asia. So they were very active in, they were very active in Libya. They were active reasonably so in Syria. In fact, at one point, Wagnerites had attacked an American base in Syria, small American base at the American counter 
hundreds of Russian soldiers died. And everybody was surprised that hundreds of Russian soldiers have died, but how come Russia is not protesting? That's because, that's because Wagnerites gave Putin plausible deniability. So it works both ways. Plausible deniability means Putin can say, I have no idea. It also means that Putin can say, look, these people died. They may be of Russian origin, but you know, I don't feel, feel so sorry for them. They were not my troops. So I don't have to escalate anything. If you want to understand this better and get more details on this, please read an article I'm sharing with you from Foreign Policy Research Institute by Alexander Rabin. In fact, from this article, I'm also showing you a couple of graphics. One of these graphics tells you how Wagner's footprint expanded in Africa. As it expanded in Africa, it acquired interest. Prigozhin acquired interest in a lot of mineral resources in Africa. So see this chart. This tells you the kind of resources he's come to control because Putin used his group as his stormtroopers in large parts of Africa, particularly the resource-rich countries in Africa where the regimes were unstable or there were local rebellions and regimes needed protection. In fact, at one point, by the way, Wagner Group also started providing protection to Maduro because he saw threats to his own life, even from his own troops. You know how unstable Venezuela has been. So if you see this graphic from Foreign Policy Research Institute, you can see that Wagner Group has interests, large interests in oil in Syria, in Central African Republic, CAR, they have gold, diamonds, in Sudan, they have gold. In fact, they've also been protecting Sudan's ruler, who's very pro-Russia. In Madagascar, they control chromite. In Libya, they have both oil and gas. And again, in Libya, they were the ones who've been, who've been helping train, equip, arm, lead, also fight for Libyan National Army, which is the force led by, and I will say this with as straight a face as possible, Field Marshal Khalifa Haftar. You see these headlines buried on our ad-filled international pages, rare international pages about Haftar army doing this, Haftar army doing that. So they've been very involved. Wagnerites have been very involved with them as well. They've also done terrible things in support of Bashar al-Assad in Syria. And for all of that, they get paid. They get paid in cash, but they also get paid in kind because they get to control resources in those countries. What's happening in Ukraine? However, is a different call to arms from Putin and from Russia. And they are the ones fighting in front, taking a lot of casualties. And that's the reason, because they have to show their own presence in market and they have to show to their customers that they have delivered, that Prigozhin himself has surfaced in Solidar to say, it is my army that conquered this target. The Russian army, on the other hand, has failed to do any such thing in a long time. In fact, if you see the Western media, there's been a lot of criticism. You can see a lot of bickering between the Wagner forces and the regular Russian armed forces. Now, who is Prigozhin? Prigozhin was in jail for nine years under the communist rule. Nine, last, the last nine years of communist rule, he was in jail for a serious crime. Then he came out. I presume there were amnesties. And he came out. As he came out, it seems that with his stepfather, he set up a tiny business just to make a little living selling hot dogs. But he was entrepreneurial. Also, Russia began to grow after that. Russian economy began to grow after that. So in the course of time, he did two things. One, he set up a restaurant, which was called New Island Restaurant. And also, he set up the first grocery chain in St. Petersburg. That gave him some money. And his restaurant became quite, quite fancy. And lo and behold, story goes that Putin landed up there. 
and he personally served Putin. And that's when a contact was established, a connection was established, and he's continued to grow and grow and grow after that. That's why sometimes he's also called Putin's chef. And you know what? Nobody in his right mind messes with Wagner. So there were three journalists, asked three Russian journalists, who were trying to investigate Wagner Group's involvement in Central African Republic's gold mining business. And this was at the Nidasima gold mines. They were going to film the gold mine. All three got murdered. Later it came out that the driver who was driving them, he had been in touch regularly with the local police chief who was linked with the Wagner Group. So those three journalists were killed. So this is a case of and after that, literally, I mean, I use that awful expression, and see, see how cruel does it sound when I tell you the next story, which is the final story of this episode of Karta Clutter. Yevgeny Nudzin, N-U-Z-H-I-N. Yevgeny Nudzin was a well-known Wagner soldier. Apparently, he was taken prisoner by the Ukrainians in Kiev. At one point, a lot of the Wagner specialists were sent into Kiev to take out the top leadership of the Ukrainian government. So he was apparently one of them and taken prisoner by the Ukrainians, Yevgeny Nudzin. Story goes that he agreed with the Ukrainians to be part of a prisoner exchange because periodically there are prisoner exchanges. And one day, he disappeared on the streets of Kiev. So the story goes that he was kidnapped, taken away to a basement and then he was killed and how? His head was crushed with a hammer and this was filmed on camera and those videos were released. Those videos were released by the Wagner side, which means if you try and do things that we don't like you doing, even if you're one of our own, this is the fate you will meet. And you might ask me, how do you know that Wagner did it and the Ukrainians didn't do it? Anybody can do anything in that place in a war zone. But in this case, Prigozhin spoke about it and Prigozhin sort of half-mockingly lamented that, look, look, he went to Ukraine to find happiness. He didn't find it. He just found some sick people, but sick people also did justice, right? He didn't say who it is or that, but he also said this was a great job of filming. Whoever did this filming did a fantastic job of filming. His exact words, I think, was this was a great job of direction, film direction. And he also said, and I hope no animals were harmed. And I thought this story might be a good way of concluding this episode of Kardak Letter because we are also telling you in some detail about this most unusual, fascinating, but cruel of private military groups in the world.